Tonight is our last in the apathy series, and so there's going to be no more apathy at Valley View after this is over, right? No more apathy. Uh, this past week, it was, uh, I think it's Tuesday, went in for uh, the final COVID shot I'm qualified for, and, um, and a flu shot at the same time. Flu shot never bothers me at all. I never even know I had it. The COVID shot makes your arm feel like a thousand pounds, and it hurts for about three days. Uh, and I don't understand that. The only, that's the only vaccine that ever affected me that way. And yet, all I said to myself when I'd go, wow, oh, that hurts, I would say, sure beats about 10 days of just that funk of the COVID, right? It beats that. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is this idea we need as, uh, as Christian people to build our spiritual stamina and, and maybe even... Uh, kind of vaccinate ourselves against weakness in our lives. Um, we need to figure out what to do with discomfort and suffering. And tonight what I want to do is put the word suffering, I want to broaden it, and we're going to put it in a scripture verse. Suffering is, in scripture, most often it is a physical persecution of some kind because you believe in the truth. But I want to expand that because it also, most often in Scripture, can include some other things. The discomfort that comes from having to carry out your Christian commitment in a world that stands opposed to you, and even that goes against your own comfort zone itself. Uh, there are things that we need to do as part of our Christian life that we don't want to do. Whenever we were in ministry class and they talked about this, they would say, there are certain things about ministry you're going to hate, just like there's certain things about teaching teachers hate, and accounting that accountants hate, and truck driving that truck drivers hate, right? There's always a part of your job you really don't like. And so what they told us was, remember this, the stuff you don't really want to do, just get it over with. It's called paying the rent. You do it to justify your position, and after that, really major in the things you love doing about what your job is, right? And so that's kind of what you do, right? But the Christian life has some things in it we don't like. Parenting does too. Nobody wants to take their babies to get the vaccines, right? We know it's a terrible thing when they're six months old and they get shot and they're all upset and they're for an hour or so. They're, they're whining and crying, and, it's, and you hate that, but you know that it's better than the suffering that could happen if you didn't give them that shot. But I want to include in this idea of suffering also emotional pain. I want to think about boredom. This generation's greatest pain is nothing to do. It's boredom. It's like an offense against your parents, right? If I say to you, Mom and Dad, I'm bored, I'm saying to you, your parenting's terrible and you need to find me something to do, right? So yeah, here's a list. Physical persecution, things we dread, uh, but we, we need to do them anyway. Emotional pain, boredom. I put in here anxiety that's so strong sometimes it wants to paralyze you. That is suffering, and sometimes your faith brings up anxiety. Sometimes your faith brings about frustrations you have to put up with. Sometimes your faith means bearing with odd people down at the church. I don't know if you've noticed that any yourself in your own history. Sometimes you're put on a committee with someone that other people really don't like much, and their first inclination is, let's get me off this committee. Maybe the first thing they should say is, this is just part of my mission and job that is not comfortable. I don't like it, but I need to do it. But, but nobody wants to do that. Put that in the word suffering, and then let's look at Romans 5 together real quick. Here's what it says. Next screen. 
I hope. Not only so, this was read just a moment ago, we also glory, listen to this, we boast, we glory in our sufferings. Remember what you just put in, you put all these categories, I just put in the word suffering. We glory or boast in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. You know what perseverance is? I can hang in there when I'd rather not. Perseverance then produces character, a depth of commitment to your integrity. Even when I don't want to be who I want to be, I'm going to be who I want to be, right? And character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Is this true? This is, this is one of those verses. You could say, of course, it's true in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It depends. Whether you actually do this or not depends on what you do when the moment comes up. We can talk about this is how it needs to work. This is how it works for Paul. And I've known some Christians that when suffering comes into their life, this gets triggered. And all it does is it makes them better. I've known people who endured things and their character grew and, their, and the depth of who they were as Christians just became so deep and they became this. But I've also known Christians, haven't you? Their suffering drove them away. You ever met anybody? Here's the verse for them. Not only so, but we're saddened by our sufferings because we know suffering produces a pulling away from the church and other Christians. And that pulling away produces a fragility in me, a weakness that I just can't endure and I just can't put up with and I become mushy and I only do what I want to do and I never do what I don't want to do. And when something becomes a little uncomfortable, I quit and I go home and it produces a weakness and a weakness produces this fear and this fear drives me away and it just makes me pull away further and finally I quit. Have, have you ever heard anybody go by those verses? Have you ever known anybody who lived by those? What determines whether you'll do Paul's version or the fall away version? What determines when difficulties, what they'll do to you? Depends on your faithfulness. Will it make you better or will it just make you bitter? That depends on you. The truth is, we as Christians, this is a good Sunday night topic need to resolve to grow in emotional and spiritual toughness. There's this endurance that we have to develop, that when hardship comes, we hang in there. We don't flee, we hold on. If you avoid every moment of pain and discomfort, you become a weak person. It numbs you to some of the things that God wants to do in you. God wants to stretch you out, but the only way he can stretch you out and deepen you is to stretch you out. And then if you bail, what God's wanting to develop never takes place in your life. But as you see God sustain you through difficult trial and discomfort... It generates within you a confidence in God and a boldness about yourself and this ability that when future troubles come, you begin to look hopefully toward them. So let me expand your thinking for a minute. What if Bible class gets boring? What if worship gets dull? 
What if spending time in fellowship with your fellow believers just doesn't do much for you? What if you'd rather dull the emotional pain of sitting through yet another worship service? You just call it Facebook. What if serving someone costs you more time than you anticipated and you find yourself annoyed? These are emotional pains many people suffer today. They will not endure. I'll give you five minutes to entertain my mind, and at the end of that time you don't have me captured, I'm out of here doing something to distract me, to medicate me, right? And church, when we cater to this mindset, we create consumers. I'll come to church if you have a a, a wonderful program for my young people that keeps them entertained so that they're happy coming to church. But if it's difficult for my kids to want to come to church in a Bible class, well, we're out of here and we're going to find some other church that makes that entertaining enough for them to enjoy it. And that's called spoiled brat Christianity. Weak-minded fragile faith. I want to show you this um, article that was on Facebook one time called Family Dinner. I don't know if you're Family Dinner. We're we're coming up on Thanksgiving. This is going to happen to some of you, right? You're around the dinner table. Back in my day, we had the kids' table where the kids were separated from the adults. How many remember when the kids were separated, right? Okay. I'm not sure when that all changed. It used to be, I remember this, the adults got their plates first and then the kids second. Right? No, not today. Not today. Today it's the kids are taken care of first and they're also intermingled at the table. And you can say whether that's a good or bad change. I'm not commenting on that. I think it's bad. But as it goes around, um, you're sitting around this table. And here's why it can become a little difficult. Because as you're sitting around the table, and this is the way it used to be, you'd all become hostages to one of the Aunt Maureen's weird conversations and stories that she thought are interesting, and everybody else was bored out of their ever-loving minds. And so in this article, Aunt Sally is talking. Here's a here's conversation. She goes on and on in, in abundant detail about the wonders of finding the pet aisle at the local grocery store. She just enraptured by the story, thinks it is so incredibly funny. But everybody's heard it. She launches in, and what you know is this is going to last. This is a Daryl Hyde story. Do you all know what I mean? You ever gone to lunch with, don't go for lunch with hour for, no, no, you got to block off three for Daryl, for one story. It just unfolds over time, right? That's the kind of, and so as you sit around this table, and the ad went like this, when Aunt Sally starts her story, you can quietly pull out your phone and get on Facebook and you can start scrolling and go into your page and see the stories of what your fellow friends are doing and posting on Facebook. And it's an escape. That's true. We all do this. I get it. But this author took up issue with the ad and said, are we failing 
Are we failing to show people how better to handle this situation? Let me give you some options of what you could do. Is that, is that what you do? You, you, you kind of escape all this, go into your own world, and avoid Aunt Sally's captivating story that holds everybody hostage. Or, or maybe it's she might muster the courage to interrupt and change the subject. This is a really good skill to learn, isn't it? You can't learn it in isolation at home. You're in this group and there's conversation, and you can tell everybody's rolling their eyes and they're just like, oh, I'm not going to get this five or ten minutes of my life back again ever. I'm losing it for everlasting eternity, right? And, And then suddenly you think, I've got a creative way to insert something here that changes the subject. And by the way, this is a great skill when you're sitting around friends who begin talking about things they ought not to. And instead of making, and what I mean by that, they're gossiping about people. And we can all make that weird turn when we're together in a conversation. We can make that weird turn that starts into gossip. And when you recognize it, this skill is incredibly valuable. This ability to insert into this conversation something that tilts it away from gossip and gets it on something else. But listen, that's a skill that not everybody has because sometimes it's so obvious that everybody goes, I see what you're doing. But sometimes you're so good at it, nobody even recognizes what you're doing. But how are you ever going to learn that? At that table, do you change the subject can you figure out a way to insert something to change the subject? that's a great skill y'all maybe that's something or maybe maybe what we should do is engage in sympathetic eye rolling with your fellow family hostages that are around the table you look at that cousin over there and you both go oh here we go again and everybody else sees it, and they all start eye-rolling. And all of a sudden, it's this inside joke that even Aunt Sally can't see that everybody's rolling their eyes. It's not disrespectful. It's just we're sharing a common moment. And eventually, when Aunt Sally dies, you're going to tell this at the funeral, and you know full well you will. I mean, this is going to be family folktale, right? Because everybody knows it. Or maybe, maybe you start a quiet side conversation maybe you suck it up and you patiently wait it out and you just show incredible love to aunt sally and patience because she's old and we don't teach this anymore do we bearing with the old my grandpa used to tell this story he died years ago but he used to tell this joke he thought was so funny and i think he's thinking He was telling me this joke for the first time, and I heard it a billion times. I could finish it, but I would let him tell it, and I would laugh like I'd never heard it before. This guy is going to jump across a ditch, took a big run, runs out and jumps. Halfway across, he realizes he won't make it, and he turns around, and he comes back. And I just, I'm just a teenager My mom said, that's how you do it. And she taught me how to converse with the old. I'm grateful for that skill. I told that story at his funeral. Everybody laughed like they'd never heard it before. That was 1998. 
But that's just something we don't do. We let our kids get up and run around, and they just, uh, and, and I get you, you do that. I understand you, or we, we, we zone out. I wonder if we're missing something. I wonder if we're missing some of those skills we need to learn because we're so busy. I'm not entertained right now, and I must be entertained in, in ways that uh, are exciting to me, and if I'm not, I will. But by escaping to Facebook land, avoiding the uncomfortable that you would never willingly choose, this young woman missed an opportunity to display and develop virtues like courage, empathy, forbearance, fortitude, patience with the aged. Is there a place for that somewhere? If there is, then where do we put it? Because we're getting rid of it as fast as we can. These attitudes develop by practice. There's no miracle. There's no magic. If we disengage ourselves, we become disengaged. And the more discomfort that I avoid in these medicating ways, the smaller my heart becomes. It just becomes smaller, and that muscle becomes weaker, and I am incapable of enduring much at all. When James mentions this, he says perseverance can come in no other way than through trial. Count it all joy, my brothers. When, when you see the trial on the horizon, you see the cloud coming and it's trial. You need to know it's coming and you can't avoid it. You're under that cloud. It's going to get you, but you can know that it's going to produce something. It's going to produce in you something that you can't get any other way. So endure it. Endure it with a sense of hopefulness that this has value. Exercise your spiritual muscle. Here's what the psalmist says about it. It is good for me that I was afflicted. What? It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's one thing to learn a verse. Didn't we talk about that this morning? It's one thing to learn a verse. It's another thing when you see it coming to reality in your life. Can you really consider it joy when you face trials? Is James out of his mind? Is that just one weird verse? Or is that the truth? You can't know it until it happens. But when it happens, we try to avoid it. So I work out weekday mornings. That may sound valiant and honorable, but it's not. I'm not graceful about it. I groan, I moan, I complain. Every fiber of my body is saying, I don't want to do this. I think of the people down there like, is Dustin here? He's not here, but he's there every morning. Every morning I see him, and I don't want to make it a point where he used to get used to seeing me, and then suddenly I disappear and he comes after me, right? But more than anything, I look forward to it being done with. As I leave, I always say to the person working the desk, I say, have a great Tuesday or whatever day it is. And he says, you too. I said, well, it's, it can only get better after this, right? It can only get better. Sandra there is there too. As Neil Pryor would say, I don't like running. I like having run, and that's me. And that's the idea is I want the benefits. I just don't want to have to do this to get them. And in our spiritual lives, I want that kind of stamina, that I see in those spiritual greats of my life. But when I look at what they've been through to get those, get that stamina, I suddenly kind of cower. They didn't get that in Sunday school class, just listening to Bible class. They got it through the crucible of life and hanging on to faith anyway. 
So what can you do uh, to strengthen these muscles? I'm just going to give you two or three things, and we're going to quit. Okay, it's all right. But, but so, so we ask ourselves, right? I got off there. Thank you for putting the slide back here. What do you get? What do you do when scripture reading becomes so mundane, when prayer becomes tedious, when worship becomes dry, when serving others isn't fun anymore, when pack a sack the first couple of times is exciting, now it's become oh, a chore to do. When you don't want a parent, there's a difficult call you have to make or a difficult patch you have to endure, and you don't want a parent anymore. I want to opt out. What happens when you'd prefer to be single again than live with him or her? When your work feels like a job and it's so tedious and you don't want to do it anymore, what do you do? And here's what Scripture says. Do it anyway. Anything worth doing is worth doing even when I don't want to or feel like it or like it. If it's worth doing, you've got to decide that in your head. Is it worth doing? Is this going to serve me well? Is this going to produce something good? If it is, do it. And even if you have to go through some difficulties while you do it, do it. That's the images of the soldier and the athlete. And this, like this morning, right? These, this. To strengthen this muscle, number one, feed your faith in the light of truth. Feed your faith with the light of truth. You are in Bible class. You're bored out of your mind. That teacher's droning on and on. What do you do? You're bored with something. You're trying to read Scripture and you're yawning and you're just bored out of your mind. You can't really focus on it. It doesn't become, it's not easily understood to you at the moment. You, you, you meditate on what you do know, right? Or you're going through that season like uh, uh, Sandra Lamberson, going through that very difficult time right there. What do you, you, you remember the things of truth. You review stories like Joseph in the Old Testament. And then you, you battle the lie that our culture teaches us, and even we are teaching our kids. That lie is, um, the world has to be comfortable. I have to be comfortable at all times. I have to be, I have to be entertained at all times. I have to be, uh, just, just, everything has to be in equilibrium in me. I have to be satisfied all the time. No, you don't. You can be uncomfortable sometimes. And there's all sorts of scriptures about this. But here's the thing. We use so many things to medicate ourselves in these moments of pain. So don't medicate, rather meditate. Meditate on the truths of scripture you know. That James 1 verse is a wonder. You're sitting there going, how? And I want to go, uh, at times when things are fine, I look at that James 1 passage and I say, yeah, that's interesting. But when that trial is on you, looking at James 1 becomes a real interesting challenge. It's like a puzzle you're trying to figure out while it's happening. Let Scripture be a puzzle you try to figure out as life's happening. Second, share with someone you trust about your grief and your doubt and seasons of just being real dry and just distant and lethargic. Talk about it with people. Share your struggles with it. You say to somebody, church is just dull to me. And you say, well, come sit with me over here and we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards and we'll try to generate some, you know, because you know it's the right thing. There's no question this is what I need to be doing. But right now it just seems like it's just the last thing I want to do. And, and so you get someone else to join you with it. That's what we do at the fitness center, right? We say to you, if you, if you can't get this fitness thing, Jeremy would say this, if you can't get this fitness thing down, 
Get people to go with you. Jeremy has struggled with this. I've watched him. He used to come with a friend on Sunday mornings. I'm going to pick on him. And, and they would come, and we'd see each other, and hey, hey. And then suddenly, he disappeared. <laughs> One day, he just disappeared. Never came back. I thought he died, but I saw him at church, so I knew he was still alive. Where is he? Where is he? It became that where's Waldo thing. Where's Jeremy? Where's he? Now, he says, you know, I can't muster this. So, so now, I wasn't good enough for him. So now he's getting a bunch of college students to go to trim gym with him. And now he's got these college students who are like looking for him. And apparently he feels a little more intimidation from college students than he does as preacher. And maybe once he becomes a sermon illustration, that will change a little bit. Sharing the journey with somebody. And then finally, pay attention to what you learn from these experiences. Journaling is great for me. Not everybody likes this, but when you go through those things and you start seeing where those verses you meditated on, that was the first suggestion, when you start seeing that actually happen in your life, and you say, I, I think I see some things that have developed as a result of this. It's usually after it's gone by, but if you don't reflect on it, you won't see it. Make yourself reflect on it and realize that was a good time for me, as bad as it felt at the time. That's some ways to practice your stamina building. This development of fortitude in your faith is a huge deal. One of God's great tools for maturity is to allow discomfort. C.S. Lewis would say this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our discomfort. It's His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's getting your attention and earning your confidence and your trust and your hope when He doesn't just bless you pleasure-wise into the kingdom, but he, but he encourages you through the difficulty into his kingdom. We are not built for just one. We're built for both. And God says, I want you to practice that. Muscle development for staying power. If you bail, it, it sabotages the entire transaction. But if you stay in there and you hang in there, as ugly as it might become to you, may not appear all that impressive to you, if you stay in there in perseverance and gain that muscle, the next time it'll take a whole lot more to make you uncomfortable. And you'll become one of these people that everybody says, I want to be like that. Apathy is going to come. Apathy is going to go. There's going to be seasons of it. There's going to be occasions that prompt it. But there are things Christians can do to prepare for those moments of apathy. And one of them, one of the greatest ones is keep doing what you do in the light even when the light goes out. And it becomes something that you choose and not just a habit you go through. And it becomes who you are. And the strength you get from that Will serve you later and the dark times get a lot less dark if there's anything we can do for you this evening spiritually make it known as we stand and sing the invitation song